pulled off my apron and then just grabbed my penis and picked my penis up and pulled it from side to side and just started shaving my balls and all my my pubic hair off me and I had to lie there and that that was not fun hello I'm Dave I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together I need to get better please make me better I want to get better 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 acquainted with you we're getting better acquainted with Owen hello Owen hello hello David hello listeners we're in a car Clear, uh, Clear, uh, her name is Cleo. No, Chloe. Now, she's a Renault Cleo, but she's now we're Chloe. in Chloe and we're chain smoking. Chain smoking at the top of Caffili Mountain in Cardiff. In the darkness. In, in a, the darkness. In a well known dog insight, we think. Well, we, if, I if, think it is, anyway. If someone turns up at the window with their willy hanging out, then we're going to probably have to move on. And that'll probably, be, yeah, probably. <laughs> it, depends if, it depends on what the offer they is. They might want to do a conversation. Um, <laughs> Getting better acquainted with your ass. Yeah, something like that. And um, it's five minutes to two in the morning. Is we're, it really? Yeah, Fuck we're me. in a little car park. They're slowing down, Dave. <laughs> oh, no, no. And uh, how did you first meet me? Do you know what? I read when I listened to the other episodes, I knew you were going to ask me this question. Yeah. And I don't remember the first time I met you. I do remember the first time you, you made an impression on me. Okay. Which was backstage in a school play. I can't remember which one it was, though. It was the one where you were dressed up as a sea monster, right? And you were being a twat. I was dressed up as Davy Jones. I saw you with Davy Jones. You were the monster inside Davy Jones' chest. Yeah, I was Davy Jones, here within my locker dark, the graveyard of the sea. Do you still remember all that? Yeah. I don't remember very many lines, but I remember that one. It was ridiculous. I remember I was loads in, of lines. I was in place. Dayglow or something. It was Basically, it was when there was a really popular sort of... Where everyone, ultraviolet lights. Yeah, so everyone was wearing fluorescent costumes with paints and stuff, and the lights went off, and Dave came out and was a monster. And I remember particularly that people in your year used to pick on you a lot. They did, yeah. It used to give you a lot of hassle, and I always was a bit unsure of you because you were quite dramatic and you made quite a scene all the time and uh, quite attention seeking in a sort of in the way that I always find a bit sort of hard working. So, was that time that I, you, I made an impression on you backstage? Was that the time when the girl who would later be my girlfriend asked if she was? Skinny. Oh no! Yes, of course. Okay. I had a massive go with you about it. Yeah. That, that's about yeah. It. But I remember having an argument with you while you were wearing your fucking costume. Yep. And I was. I thought it was I in that play. You weren't. I don't think. No, I think I was just there backstage helping out and just generally being among the girls. There yeah, was, because that's that's the only reason I was in drama in the first place. It was crazy, it. actually, drama because the girls' changing room was in full view of the toilet oh the yes right in the in the canteen yeah well the boys changed in the canteen in full view of everyone the windows went out onto the road so everyone could see us in our underwear but the girls in their underwear they were in the pe room and you could see into the pe room from the That's toilets right. when you were putting your makeup on so i remember going and putting my makeup on quite a lot <laughs> I, 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 so I, and I, catching sort of glimpses of the girls in their underwear. Uh, peeping Tom, basically. Well, I was fucking 
I don't know, 14? Yeah, I think fair. everybody's a, a peeping Tom when they're 14. You, you just want to know what the It's interesting you remembered that part of the... Because uh, I remember arguing with you. Yeah. Because I thought you were being a knobhead. But it was very unreasonable. But What you guys were having a before. But I was probably being a dick. So the thing is... Well, no, no. I think part of it was the fact that everyone else treated you like an obed which is true wasn't it they were harsh on you people were harsh and when you're when you're in school if someone's being harsh to someone you follow the social norm and i think that's basically what it was and that whole thing i was going through a weird complex of girls where i believe women were much more interested than guys i remember telling them every girl that i met they were much more interested than guys guys were boring girls were amazing i thought that was the way to get into their knickers (laughs) so when you offended I just said she looked normal, not skinny. But you guys were like, she used to be anorexic, so I'll be by her name. I, I, knew no, I knew nothing about that. I was told that she was anorexic. I know, and then everyone had this big go at me. And then later, a few years later, I would end up going out with her and having a relationship with her, so I don't know. I was there that night you got with her. Yeah, you were. I was Radiohead. working. You I was were, working. That's right, you were working for sil- silver service, wasn't it? I was a silver service waiter. I had to go to a course for two weeks to be able to become one, and then I didn't bother with it. I'd turn up, I'd sign in, and then I'd go watch the bands, and then I'd go and sign out and leave again. I used to get paid a ridiculous amount of money. And then... Wow, it's really raining outside now. Has that been picked up? Why is this lighter not working? Um, I don't know where my lighter went, but that's the... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's the first time I remember you making an impression on me. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, microphone just fell over again because of me. Um, I've lost the lighter, so this is... But, uh, I don't, uh, but it's difficult to remember exactly when you became rate of mine as well. That's difficult to remember. I don't... Like you and... I know you and Alex have got this romantic thing about being on a bridge somewhere. Well, me and him did have a romantic meeting on a bridge down yeah that's what we did then we ended up going back to my house and writing some songs my progression into your friendship and or my the start of my friendship with yours comes from that play and i became more your friend when i went back here with pikey i think we were friends before i knew alex though we, we i brought you two together i became friends with alex because he asked steve who was my best friend at the time who was in a band with me with a guy called gareth williams that's right. And he asked Steve whether or not he played skins. You you guys got in a band with Alex and me, though. That was what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah that, that is what happened. And I think that's probably where it all started from. And then I ended up getting in a band properly with you after. But we were in a band before that. We were in a band t- together before that. Me, you and Steve were in a band together before even Gareth Williams. There was a weird band. It was the one with David Pearce. Was that when I had that argument with Pug? About him turning my guitar down. I don't know. No, no, we were in Beetlebum. Yeah, that's right. That's right, right, yeah, where we did Beetlebum. And we got it all wrong. We thought this was that and that was that. We we thought we were that. Yeah, that's probably where it all started then. I think so, yeah. The other question that I ask everybody is, what do you do now? At the moment, I'm a chef. Yeah. Um, I'm prep chef working in Chapter Art Centre. And I have been for about seven months. Uh, before that, I was unemployed because I went for an operation to have a gastric sleeve to basically have my stomach stapled and have 85% of my stomach taken out because I was fat. And I mean, I was fat. How fat were you? I was 32 stone. 32 stone. Still attractive for 32 stone, I thought. <laughs> then I 
had to take time off work to be able to get over the operation. Kit ended up working at Chapter with my girlfriend who got me the job and that's what I do now. I'm going to Barcelona on the 1st of July, which is why you're down. Yeah. Because of where I go. To teach, uh, to, to do an intensive training course for CELTA. A certificate of Education and Learning and Teaching Adults. <laughs> <laughs> the Certificate... God, what is it? I don't know. I don't know what it stands for, but it means teaching English. Civic of English, le- English language teaching to adults. So once he's mastered what the course <laughs> is, that's halfway there. So he's going to be teaching people in Barcelona how to speak English. Not how to speak English. How to speak better grammar. It's based on the grammar rules and how important they are in, in language intuition. They're going to be Spanish people who can speak English, but use the wrong grammar rules, basically. As you know, when you speak, when you meet someone who speaks English as a second or third language, they don't use contractions or they use the wrong contractions, they use the wrong words, they get time frames mixed up, they use the wrong verbs or they, they don't add the past part, uh, participle and the, the pre-participle and the, the prefix and stuff pro- properly. So I've got to basically teach them not to do that, which is something, by the way, I know fuck all about, <laughs> which is one of the reasons why I decided to do it. To improve your own grammar. Well, yeah, uh, if, it, if, it, if it just meant going and embellishing what I already knew, then it would, I'd find it boring. I wanted to be a teacher. I thought about doing the PGC, but it's a lot of bloody money. I applied for the primary school PGC. I got rejected twice with no sort of understanding of why I was rejected. The first time I get my experience wasn't very good, but I've got experience now of working in schools, and they still reject me. And I, and I remember... Speaking to the woman on the phone, saying to her, for God's sake, I want to be a teacher really badly. So why are there so many obstacles? I've had to go through like five or six massive things before I can even, you know, be accepted. And it just seems such a long, prolonged, problematic procedure that I just gave up in the end. Why do you want to be a teacher? I think it's, I think... I don't know, just do. I don't, I don't really, I haven't really thought that far into it, to be honest. I remember you saying you've always wanted to be a teacher. I've always wanted to be a teacher. Since when? When do you I remember? think it's just part of my personality. I like, I'm very even-tempered. I, I, I get on well with people and I and I like to impart knowledge. And I like to... You like to look after people, I think. I, I get there's an element to that as well. And I like to, uh, there's an element of me that's quite bullish and I like to tell people trivial things and yeah, you always like to do pub quizzes and stuff like that like you always used to like dark knowledge stuff you know? I always wanted to be a teacher but I remember th- th- this is this is true I think you were there when this happened I was going to off to do a PGC in um, film or media and I went back to see Harding with you our teacher yeah and I needed our, a reference drama teacher yeah our, dra- our drama teacher I needed a reference to be able to you need an academic reference and I didn't like any of my lecturers and I wasn't in contact with them, so Harding was the only option. I went back and explained to him I needed a, a reference and he put me on the spot and he asked me loads and loads of questions about my degree. Do you not remember this? Um, I think so. I was probably, obviously didn't make much impact on you anyway. I was preoccupied with my own issues at the well, time. Well, exactly. It's not going to make an impact on you. And um, he kind of sat me down and asked me loads of questions, basic questions about the rules of uh, old Hollywood and the new Hollywood and, and stuff like that and uh, the codes of the BBC and stuff. And I didn't know any of it because, one, I never really paid that much attention in, in university and that's not why I went anyway. 
and he flummoxed me and he and he knocked my confidence which is unlike Harding because he's normally one of those people who, who knows what to say to you like he gets to know you so well that he yeah and he, he did it and I think he did it as a lesson because I think he knew that I wasn't prepared for it and I remember thinking to myself I'm not prepared to be a teacher yet I'm too young I haven't got enough life experience I still feel like I'm a novice in a lot of ways yeah and I felt like I needed to get a bit of life experience behind me and then go back to it which is what I intended to do but then I got caught up with living and all the other stuff that comes along with, with that and then by the time I felt I was ready to go and become a, a teacher when I tried there's too much of a gap to think Maybe. Too much of a financial gap by that point. Yeah. I was over the age of 25, so a lot of the funding wasn't available to me. I had debts, uh, which I couldn't just... If I stepped back to being a student, I wouldn't be able to pay off any of the debts that I had at the time. I'd have to re rethink all that. And it's only now that I've been working full-time, and, and my girlfriend's been working full-time, we've had the financial backing to be able to do something like that, but not as prolonged as a PGC. So I was trying to find something else that allowed me to be a teacher in an area that I was interested in. And does Barcelona appeal to you because it's a nice place? Or? Barcelona appeals to me because it's different and it's out of my comfort zone. And that, the whole thing is out of my comfort zone. The, standing up in front of people and not performing, they say you're not meant to perform, but standing up in front of people is not a problem. I never particularly get nervous about things like that, but teaching something that I don't, that I feel is a, something that I need to improve on is one of the reasons I'm doing it. And you've mostly lived all of your life in Cardiff, really, haven't you? I mean, you went away to Aberystwyth, which is the closest to Cardiff. I went to Aberystwyth for three years. A lot of people had uh, a horrible, horrible time. Okay, yeah, let's talk about Aberystwyth then. So you, you went from... So, you, right, we, d we did our A-levels. You got really high mark in drama, and you didn't get... <laughs> I got crap. I got... I got... I, I quit chemistry... I originally... Does anybody want to know all this? Well, you can I can edit it out if it's boring. When, I've, when I... My brother went to Oxford when I, when I was about 15. And I remember my mother saying to me about... Now you can go to Cambridge and so forth. And I... Because I was intelligent and I did well in my GCSEs even though I could have done better because of the whole Linda situation. Uh, because that kind of... One of, one, of my, one, of my, one of my major problems that has to be said is that when I, when I fall in love, I fall in love and I go 100% and they kind of envelop everything that I do and it's something that I'm aware of. They're everything and I'm just the guy on the side kind of doing my own thing but most of it's sort of towards them and it's something that's taken me a long time to work through. Okay. So I did well in my GCSEs and I was intended to do A-levels so I started five A-levels. I intended to do five A-levels which was impossible. I did history, physics, chemistry, biology, and drama. Yeah. Because that's how wide-ranging I, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. Ended up in repeat the first year because I fucked up because I just started off wrong. I didn't catch up. The chemistry, psychology, and drama. Dropped chemistry. So you dropped back into my years. I dropped back into that. We were in the same class. <clears throat> we were in the same drama. And I got an A in drama. He's a very <clears throat> good actor. I'm a very good actor. In life <laughs> and on stage. Drama required a lot more work than in some ways than was helpful well, yeah, to yeah I mean drama took up your whole day rehearsals would be like five or six hours yeah. not including all the, the essays you had to do and then you had to go off and do psychology which was very very word intensive and uh, chemistry which was a lot of practicals and mathematical things there was no sort of streamlining to what I wanted to do if I did like music drama and art yeah. they'd all be in one area but I was all over the place and I just didn't concentrate on 
anything other than drama. So, so that's what I did so well uh, with as drama. A, as a result, you did very well at drama, but you had to go through clearing to get into university. Yes. And you went to Aberystwyth. I went to Aberystwyth because... Because it was the first one I rang. And because they accepted me straight away. And I didn't see the point in trying to go anywhere. The weird thing is, though, none of us ever talked about going to the same university, which I always find really strange, because you meet people now who have gone through university with their friends from high school. They yeah. all went through it, and they're still friends now. Groups of them, particularly girls, I've discovered, they all went together, or they all moved to the same city and went to the same... Loads of people I know, like four or five girls who went to London, not necessarily the same uni, yeah. but they lived in the same place. But we never even discussed that. No, we not didn't. for a second. We didn't. Well, Alex was already at university. Yeah, that that, that that's true. I mean, Steve went on to be a, a carpenter, a pentress. Richest of all of us is Steve, I would say, mm. as a builder. So you went to Aberystwyth, and what was Aberystwyth like? Small, very clicky, difficult to get on with a lot of people, even though you knew everyone. There was nothing to do. There were no there were no gigs. If there was a gig on, it was advertised weeks before it happened. And when you turned up, it was like everyone that you'd just been spending the last two weeks with going out on the piss, on the piss. You couldn't get anywhere that didn't take four hours. Shropshire was like, not Shropshire, Shrewsbury was like the closest, biggest town. And that was two hours train drive away. And there's nothing in Shrewsbury anyway. Cardiff is four hours away. London's like six hours away. Yeah, it's hard to get to Aberystwyth. Because well, when I came to visit you, it was oh, a long, it's unbelievable. long, long train journey. And you know it as well, and it, and it creates a sort of, uh, closes down your mind a little bit, because it, I think if you're living, if you go to university in somewhere like uh, Lancaster or, or London, you have other things that you can do. I don't know, Lancaster's quite a small town, there's not much to do there. I think the university is partly what you make of it, and if you don't click with people when you... If you didn't well, I had a really good group of friends. I had a really small group. I've always had small groups of friends. I've never been one of these people who can network and have like four or five different groups, like yeah. some people I know. I've never. So I had a really, really good friends while I was there. But it just, the place was just too small. And after three years of being there, where you, with no money and no chance of getting a job, that's another thing. If you, if you go to university in London, you can get a part time job just on the road. You can't have a list because there's like five students going for every part time job that comes along. So earning money that wasn't wasn't easy, and it wasn't particularly enjoyable. And then my third year was was cocked up by my best friend's ex girlfriend following me there, and then just kind of enveloping everything that I did. There was a lot of drama off the drama course, wasn't there? Really? There was a lot of drama off the drama course yeah. that just came a bit sort of crazy, and I ended up having a really bad time, and I was taking a lot of. Uh, lot of MDMA um, and drinking a lot drinking like eight cans of Strongbow a day and stuff just so I can go to sleep and wake up the next day and do the same thing go to sleep because there was nothing to do and the drama course was incredibly boring it was all the same thing over and over again and there was no creativity to it they they had uh, artistic directors and, and the lecturers were all putting plays on but you could tell it was their pet project as opposed to anything to do with your course. There was that element to my my uh, yeah, you, studies d d degree that, that they were doing their projects. Yeah, and you, you were, you were furthering their career more yeah. than they were furthering yours. I think that's a, yeah. And when you go and speak to them, they were just really obtuse or felt like you had no, they had no time for you. And especially in Aberystwyth, where there's it's quite a small amount of people doing the drama course, they were favourites all the time we were getting the, the big the big marks and they were getting the, the good good parts and you just felt a bit out of that loop and if you weren't involved in it and we went for the trip to London 
um, with the drama group that I was involved with, and it was it was just a waste of time because they were all friends, and I hadn't really made friends with them because I was friends with the, the film studies group more than anything else. And I remember just sitting on the coach on my own, and there was just everyone else drinking and having a laugh at the back, and I just remember thinking, I hate this bloody university. So, yeah. And then you came back to Cardiff, so really you've only ever lived in Wales, really? Yeah, really. I mean, no, no one really wanted to go else. to Barcelona. Exactly. I mean... And I've been to the bigger cities and thought, I thought of moving to Manchester at one point. I went there, I really liked Manchester. I was, um, I really thought, considered, considered doing my PDC in Manchester. And I did apply to Manchester as one of the places that actually uh, rejected me. I say rejected me, they just didn't get back to me. That was the that was the first time. Then there was another time, and then there was another time. The second time I got rejected, and the third time I got rejected as well. Um, and I thought of going to London, but I went to London, and I didn't particularly like the pace of it. It's it's hard in some ways. It is, it, yeah. I, I mean, even, even when I've been there for like only two or three days, I just felt sort of swamped by the place, and I don't know if I'd enjoy it that much. So my mind went off London. The only other places I could think of maybe would be nice would be Bristol. Because it'd be close to my family and it'd be down the road and it's a really nice place. It's a good place. And that's, I couldn't think of anyone else. And then I thought, sod it, let's just move. Let's move countries while I'm young enough to be able to do it and I'm financially secure enough. Does that answer that? Well, yeah. It, you Talking about financially secure, you were, for a while you were a financial advisor, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was a financial advisor. What, what, what did that entail? Oh, I sold... Security investments and retail investments. Retail investments are basically personal equity plans and ISAs um, involved in the stock exchange uh, through the indexes, all the Dow Jones and the Nikkei index. And and, <coughs> and so forth. And I basically was trained to be able to advise people on what ones to choose and so forth. So I would spend most of my days speaking to, to millionaires who would be complaining that their dividends for that month were only 100000 and and it was a hard job to deal with when you, you're scrimping and saving three you, quid to get home and yeah, stuff. Yeah, because you were not very well off. No, I was very, 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 very badly off. Because yeah. I was working in Sydney World for three years on minimum wage in a job that I loved because of the social side of it. And I had no real life plan decide, uh, decided by then. And I was just kind of coasting through. And I decided to, when I met Siam, I literally just left the job. Started and realised that it wasn't just me to look out for now. So left and got a proper job that, where well, I earned quite a bit of money. Um, got more financially stable, and then everything kind of kicked in from there. What was the most annoying thing about the millionaires that you were talking to? <laughs> that they were just complete pricks. To be honest, most of the people, most of about sixty percent of the people that rang up were working class people who were saving for their kids' college funds or saving for a holiday. And they were lovely, and you know some of these people were retired people who would who had like a four thousand pound payoff at the end of the retirement, and they put it with us, and they'd lose two thousand pounds of it, and they'd be on the phone crying. And you have great sympathy for them. And then a millionaire would ring you up and complain that he'd only made hundred thousand that week, or or he'd lost like two thousand out of the sixteen million that he had of us, and so forth. And it and it it was an, it was seeing the the other side of. I've never come across, I've never met anyone really who has any sort of affluent or any, any wealth. And to deal with those people was 
they were all dicks. There wasn't one single person who rang up who had more than, say, two or three million in the bank with us who was nice, just nice, who could speak to you with a proper tone of voice and who, who didn't speak to you like crap. And it was a real eye-opener. And I was really shocked by that because you think if you got money, you'd be happy. And yeah. You'd be nice. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You'd be nice to everyone. And No, it was horrible. Talking about class, I mean, do you consider yourself to be working class? I am working class. I live in a working class environment. And working class in the biggest council estate in Europe. It is. What, what? The biggest. It used to be. I think it is anymore. Well, when I was... I piss. All right, okay. You're going to record the piss if you want. I can pause, I'll, I'll pause it. Put the car rolls back, put the handbrake on. Okay. <laughs> It is quite crazy. Sat there with my fucking seatbelt. Middle of the, mid, you're right, middle of nowhere. You live in and have lived in the biggest or one of the biggest council estates in Europe for a while, Ely. Mm. Mm. What's, what's Ely like? It's changed a lot, Ely, from when I was younger. <clears throat> Ely was quite, was very, very working class when we first moved in there. In fact, it was all councillors. It was uh, council housing and uh, People, young mothers and young families were given the houses over, over everyone. So the whole street that we lived in, which is like a little cul-de-sac, uh, were all young people around about uh, between 20 and 30 who had kids. And part of it was like a community spirit. And we used to have jumbo sales every Sunday and all the kids got together and they bought us some football kits so the kids could play together in a football match and things like that and it was it was really nice and everyone knew each other and we all looked out for each other even though there were a lot of fights in the street because of it there was a lot of shouting over the fences and stuff at each other and Ely is Ely was rough I would say now that it's not rough it's not as rough I would as say Grangetown and Riverside is much much worse and that's that's mainly because there is a, an inf- a massive influx of um, of immigrants have gone into that area and obviously now, my, because my girlfriend's Somali, I can see a little bit more of that side of it, and how that it, there is a massive division there, and that is, and it becomes more and more prevalent as you, the longer I live there. Um, not that that's in a negative way, but, no, but it is clearly... Saying, you know, you had a white working class community that was had its own kind of life, and then now new people have moved in with very different cultural ways and so they they have to try and adapt and oh yeah work out how to live together uh, uh, for example um i was in grangetown the other day um i was dropping sea off and i went to the shop and i was walking past i looked into one of the houses now do, do you know do you know as you go over the bridge do you know there's a bridge that goes past the the stadium yeah towards King's Road yeah, yeah, yeah. but there's another one further on on Penarth Road yeah, yeah Penarth Road is and I looked in and there was no carpet on the floor there was no there was no chairs or any sort of furniture but they were actually burning a campfire in the middle of the floor and they were cooking on it and you could see the ceiling had been burnt from the flames flicking up and stuff where they'd obviously had this fire going for days and days on time and I was just generally shocked, but I don't think I've seen that in... You wouldn't see that in Ely. No, you wouldn't. No. No. Not, not, not even when I... I mean, because I, I... I spent a lot of time in Ely, because I, I, we, we pretty much lived in Steve's... Steve's house. Steve's house, yeah. As teenagers, playing a lot of computer games. A lot of computer games. A lot of computer games. 
good times. I, I I really enjoyed those times, and we worked in the Rafa Club together. Yes. The RA, yeah, but you RA, hated the Rafa but, Club though because. Well, they didn't like. I remember me. you having a, a big paddy one day. Well, not right. not or justified as well because some guy was he calling you gay or something. Somebody put some cigarettes out on my hand. Did but, they? Yeah. I don't remember that happening. It was one of them like parties, yeah, so it wasn't like the everyday Rafa Club people because they were just old guys. But, we just you know, wanted a pint at the but end. But then they'd the day, have yeah. a party, wouldn't they? And I did the glass collecting and they thought it was funny to like try and put their cigarettes out on my hand that night. I remember you, kind of, you we had a little glass cleaning machine right in the corner yeah. by the bar. And I remember Sorry. you coming back and slamming glasses down. Yeah, and being really pissed off. That'd be why. And I, rem- I, from what I remember, it was because they were making gay remarks to you. And well, they stuff. were. They did. They were. Yeah, they were. They were. Me, they were. But quite, I didn't know about me, the cigarette. They were calling me gay. Yeah. You didn't stay there for very long, though. No, I didn't work there for long because it was hard. I, I spent a lot of time hanging out there with you and Steve afterwards, but I quit the job because yeah, I had another job in an off-licence. That's right, yeah, that off-licence by you. That's right. I mean, I always felt quite safe in Ely, to be honest, as when I was growing up, because I just, oh, you, I never had any grief. The only time I felt unsafe in Ely was with you. Yeah. To be fair, there, was, there were a couple of times in Ely where... Because of the way you dressed and the way you, yeah. you spoke. Yeah, certainly you're, when I was a Because you were very teenager. fucking loud as you... As we've already mentioned, you were very loud. I remember one time, you probably don't even remember this because it happened to you like every day, I think. Yeah, go on. We went into a chip shop, the Mampo chip shop down by Steve. Me, you and Steve. And you know you have this tendency to talk about people when they're there. Yeah, I do have that tendency. Yeah, you do. And you were talking about these guys gave you a look or something. Do you not remember this? Uh, I'm trying to remember it. Carry on, and I'll see. Some guys said something about you because I hated going in that place anyway. Because there were always kids going in there to get bags of chips, and there'd be like five or six, like what what were at the time we didn't call them chavs, but they were just a bunch of bad boys, bunch of bras, like yeah, bras is what we used to say. Bad boys, yeah, bras, bras, bad boys, we called them bras because they said bra, safe bra. And he knew which part of Cardiff they were on, but depending how they said it, even they said spa, they were from. Yes, bra the and, then and stuff. And bra. 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 Yeah. bra. All this stuff. But you, they came in and made a couple of comments. And most people would just put their head down, get their food and leave. Yeah. But you couldn't leave it alone. Sensible So you would turn into me and Steve and laughing and, and kind of making kind of jokes yeah. within our little group about what they were saying to you and so forth. Yeah. And I could see it was antagonising them. And I was trying... To kind of get out as quick as possible, but you kept on going. Yeah, yeah, you kept on like going. And in the end, I mean, that's the only times I've ever felt unsafe. <laughs> Sometimes was hanging around with you because yeah. you couldn't walk away from things either. Fair enough, fair enough, mate. I can understand that. But that said, I mean, I, I've never had any like grief in the streets really, in any. Not even when I was a kid. I used to have grief in school, but I didn't really have grief in the streets. I never had grief in school. I never had grief in... I had one big incident with, with some guy who accused me of trying to set fire to his little brother or something. <laughs> um, and, he, and he got his mates to corner me and Birdie's Lane and, he, and they, they, they kind of punched me a couple of times. Oh, fuck. Um, but that was about as far as it went. And I've had a couple of incidents where people have accused me of phoning the police on them because I've been in the phone box. Do you, do you remember, do you remember uh, Rob and Phil, the two little kids... Yeah. Like year well low in the school, um, 
that were like, they liked me because I smoked and I gave them cigarettes. This uh, is not the one with the head. One of them. The, one, the one you cracked his head off. No, 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 not, <laughs> not that one, I mean. Uh, what was his name? I don't actually know dick. his name. Um, he deserved it to a certain extent. I mean, he, look, didn't, he didn't deserve to have his he, head cracked off. He open, stole but. my hat. I tried to throw him on the floor. But was it, I thought it was about your ex-girlfriend. No, it wasn't. It, Didn't you just break up with your ex? She broke up with me as a result of this act. Action. That's right. Um, but what happened was, I tried to throw him on the floor, and he connected with the with the post, <laughs> with the with the corner <laughs> of the door and frame, it, and his head started bleeding. And I thought I killed him, and I ran up to Owen, and I was like, "Shit, I've killed." I him. remember. I remember seeing him being wheeled away by a teacher. Oh and God! Blood I thought I, I, thought down I killed head. him. Just, 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 just scab, uh, scabs. Scalps uh, bleed a hell of a lot. Yeah, they do. So it was only a glancing he wound. Looked, he looked white as oh a sheet. Oh my god! But I thought I killed him. I probably thought I killed him. But but the, I remember the worst thing about that was the next day um, in school, all the teachers were like, "Well done." <laughs> and I was like, "This isn't right." He was, I a, be he was a little dick, though. But no, no, no. These, these Rob and Phil were 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 nice in inverted commas kids who liked me anyway because they could get cigarettes off me. And they always used to say to me, oh, if you want to rob a house, always wear two pairs of socks, Melvin. I was like, why? They're like, because if you want to rob a house, you just take off one pair, stick them over (laughs) your hands, and then there's no fingerprints. Why would you you just have gloves? I know, no, no, no. And then they said, if you haven't got two pairs of socks on, you want to rob a house that's got the washing hanging out on the line so you can get the, was get this, the socks. Was this the same kids who stole the, uh, the lab technician's car? Yeah, they, they, did, they, did, they did steal the lab technician's car and then they told me about it and that's when I stopped being there. Stop, I said, look, you know, I, I can't, put you in a situation, I, I can't know about this stuff if you're going to steal teachers' cars and <laughs> drive them around. That kind of explains a bit of what our school was like. Our school wasn't that bad, though. No, not compared to some schools. Oh, God, Fitzalan. Yeah, I know. My sister went there after. Um, but you were you were in Ely when there was... Because there, there was a few riots in Ely back in the day, wasn't there? You was in Ely in the riots. I remember the riots because of the helicopters um, even now when you hear the helicopter go, go over the top and stuff it kind of makes you think uh, it makes me think back to that because basically from what I was told the story was I think my mum knows it's slightly different is that there was a shop on uh, on the top of Ely which is which at the time when I was younger was very rough the top of Ely was the roughest part and Ely's a, a whole council estate that's surrounded by alleyways that go in, in and around the houses. They go on the back of the gardens and stuff. And it's so easy for people to get into people's gardens and into the house. So the top of Ely was really, really rough. And what happened was, is that there was a, a shopkeeper. This is a story that I was told. Some kid had tried to steal a loaf of bread. Well, they accused him of stealing a loaf of bread and they locked him into the shop. They locked the shop door and uh, basically given him a kick in. Which then, when the parents found out, got a, a vigilante group to go down and smash up the shop, which then caused everyone else to want to smash everything else up as well. And it went on for like four or five days. What was it like being in the middle of the riots then? I don't... I remember being really scared about it. If I remember rightly as well, it was about the time of the Gulf War. I think, yeah. Yeah, and I remember the Gulf War, because obviously... 
No, apart from the fall proof side, I've no, no recollection of. The only time we ever went to war when I was younger was the Gulf War, and I thought they were going to start bombing us because my nan and the grandpa used to tell me stories about the Blitz and so forth. Uh, and a man lived in Portsmouth, and the bombing that used to go on, and, uh, and she lost like quite a lot of relatives in shelters that were bombed, and I thought that was going to happen. And I remember being really fucking scared of that. And obviously, when, when all the riots went off, it was like really strange because it felt like it was a almost like wartime and we were told not to go here and not to go there and there was always news reports that it was going to kick off again and so forth and my mother was I think she was stopped she stopped going to work for a couple of days as well because she was worried about us at home I think it was in the summer holidays as well but it hasn't happened for a long time no no there hasn't been any riots for no Edie's much better than it used to be when would you say in your life you were happiest I actually think at the moment. At the moment. At the actually, I actually think at the moment. I, I have periods. I have periods. I can certainly say I was happy. I was happy in high school. I had no problems in high school. I really enjoyed high school. Um, six, six form. I loved. I loved six form. I loved everything up to it. To be honest, I loved the mucky fights in year eight. I loved all the going for bike rides in year nine and stuff. I loved all that. I, I had no problems in school. I've always been really respectful of teachers. So teachers never gave me any hassle. The old librarian. Do you remember the old librarian? Remember what her name was? Yeah, I can't, uh, Mrs. Mason. Was Mrs. It? Mason, Mrs. Windsor, something like I that. I think it was Mrs. Mason. I so I was I worked in the library for her at lunch times. To she was she was ancient though, wasn't she? She was old at that time, and she knew that I was into reading, so she would find books for me to read and stuff. And I just remember thinking, I'm loving it, and just going and getting Gillian Cross books, you know, Demon Headmaster yeah, and so forth. I like them a lot. And reading all them and reading all the Voldar books and stuff. So I, I loved school. I loved loved the girls in school. But so when I got uh, became a bit of a sex pest. <laughs> yeah, you and were I was always, after every girl that I could get my hands on, but it never were, happened. Well, you think it, the thing is, all the girls fancied you, but you never really capitalised. Was oblivious on it. to it. I don't really know why. I always remember that French girl. That's the one that I always feel like got away. The one that got away. That was when I think. Do you know? Uh, there's a uh, there's a girl that comes along uh, and it comes up to a point where your your esteem is not high enough to get that girl. Yeah. And then for some reason it affects the rest of your relationships because you remember back to that time of feeling awkward. She told someone that she fancied me. I tried my best to fl- was flirting with her. When I found out she fancied me, I just shut down. Just totally shut. I just didn't know what to do. Suddenly, it became really awkward. And lots of relationships I've had with girls where I've been really good at them. As soon as I find out they might be interested in me, I just lose all confidence of it. You know what I mean? And that was that. It all goes back to that bloody French girl. If I pulled that French girl, everything would have been different. Everything would have been much easier. And I mean, a lot of the problem, I guess, was that you were a big lad. I, some of it was, but I wasn't that big in high school. I was big, but you I wasn't. You used to be on a diet. You was on a crazy diet where oh, you had the to cabbage eat. Soup you had diet the cabbage soup diet. No, yeah, you had the cabbage soup diet, but you had that diet where you had to fucking eat a whole chicken <laughs> one day, and then I had loads of bananas the, the next, next day, day, and I was like, what the fuck? And you were like, it's all right, I can eat as much chicken as I like today. <laughs> om, nom, nom, nom. <laughs> fucking mental. Yeah, yeah. My relationship with food is complicated, as we said. But, uh, and that resulted in you being. 32 stone mm. and then you went to uh, Czech Republic I went to uh, Bruneau in the Czech Republic to have a, a gastric sleeve 
which cost a ridiculous amount of money and was an absolute an absolute turning point in my because I was getting to the point where I physically couldn't do things I used to I, I couldn't play football which killed me because I used to love playing football and I was and I used I remember I hadn't played for about a year and I went to go and play football and I lasted like five minutes and I felt awful and I remember thinking I am so unhealthy and and the doctor said to you anyway they you they said I wouldn't live past 40 or something they said if I carried on the way I was Jesus. and I was getting to the point where I couldn't exercise to lose the weight because I was so big that I couldn't move my body uh, with enough activity to, to burn the calories what? but I never felt big This is the, the I felt big in the sense I was tall because I'm 6 foot 1 I just felt I was tall just happened to be big boned but it's only now when I look back at the pictures and stuff oh. no, you, were, you were fat I was fat um, I mean and why didn't they let you do it on the national health? Because where we are, where I'm based in Cardiff, it's not available. And if and it and to be able to get it anyway, you have to be considered of a of a certain mental instability. You have to basically have tried to commit suicide on a number of occasions. So there's a family member of mine who tried to commit suicide three times and she said it was she was depressed because of a size and so forth and they gave her a gastric band for free and the follow-up operations and so forth so I thought I'd be able to get it but when I realised that the amount of stuff that she had to go through and it took a year and a half and she tried to kill herself properly three times not yeah, not, not just a mess not, not attention seeking in any way she tried to and I realised I was there's no way I was going to be able to get it it's and not you, an option. And you saved up for it, did you? Or no, my my parents, parents my parents paid for it because my mum was a bit worried because she could see how big I was getting and the job that I was in, which was sat down all day, I was just putting weight weight on left over foot. And I was in a relationship, and you always put weight on in a relationship because and our our my relationship with my girlfriend is based around food. That's what if we have a good time, we go out and eat, or we go out and and drink. We don't, you know, we. So we reward ourselves with, with food or we yeah, th- if we were down we'd have food. We'd go and buy nice food and have it together and so forth. And yeah. she put weight on and I I definitely put weight on. I think I put on eight stone in like two years of her or something. Not it's not her fault. But you were just relaxed when you I mean, Yeah, that's the thing. you don't relax. look you don't have to worry about yourself because you've got someone you know you're gonna be with for a long time and you just kind of get into a situation where you just relax. And I'd, I'd lost control of it. And how much did it cost the operation? Uh, Seven thousand. Seven thousand. Not including the money that it cost my parents to go over with me as well when I had the operation, which they then discovered that they couldn't see me anyway. I was going to be in that hospital for four days on my own, and they could see me for like two hours on, the, like the day after the operation. And you had how many, um, how many staples or whatever was? It? Uh, about four thousand five hundred staples, cutting my stomach uh, by eighty-five percent. And then they removed my stomach. And when they removed my stomach, um, my stomach was two litres in size. Two which litres. is... The normal stomach is about 850... Mm, mil, no, it's not millilitres, yeah, probably millilitres. It's not a full litre. But mine had been stretched so big. But I do also have an enlarged liver and enlarged, enlarged uh, lungs and heart as well. So it is something I think I was born... Slightly genetically, slightly larger, and which doesn't help things, but I definitely stretched it out. And they took out the n- a nerve as well, didn't they? Is it when you have the operation, you have uh, pipes that are put into your chest and into your stomach, and one of those pipes passes a nerve which goes up the right hand, left hand side of your body, 
and it feels like you're having a heart attack for like two days it's horrible it's it's incredibly painful and they pumped me full of morphine and my most enduring image of, of that was coming out of the operation it was a five-hour operation I was lying in bed and they they sat me in a intensive care and I could see the clock in front of me and I was in and out of consciousness talking gibberish to all the, the nurses who couldn't understand the word I was saying just watching the, 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 the clock slowly go and they kept telling me you're out at 12 o'clock out at 12 o'clock and it was only one o'clock and then I fall asleep and wake up and it'll be like quarter past one fall asleep wake up it'll be quarter to two and just counting down the time that I could go back to where I was originally where all the DVD player and stuff was just something but I have weird sort of images and that that even now now and again if I sit and think about it more and more of it comes back them trying to put the uh, catheter in and stuff and not being able to do it because I I was so big in the way I was sat was kind of like crunching my penis down and stuff like that <laughs> things like that which when I think back on it it's embarrassing and the worst thing was when they shaved me that was the most the worst because I wasn't expecting they told me to shave my stomach and my chest which I did but I was <laughs> I had like I think it was like 10 hours of, of tests probed and had things down my, my stomach and suppositories and all sorts of things. And I just sat down and I just managed to get enough internet coverage to watch EastEnders at like 9 o'clock at night. And I was lying there and the woman who had been with me all day, this Czech nurse who was there to look after me, came in. And she said, have you shaved? I said, yeah. And she said, well, I'll check now. And she pulled off my apron and then just grabbed my penis and picked my penis up and pulled it from side to side and just started shaving my balls and all my my pubic hair off me and I had to lie there and that that was not fun <laughs> that was not something I'd ever want to do again has to be said so you had completely shaved pubic hair I to totally shaved it was really weird but I don't know why I did it it was nowhere near my, my penis <laughs> I get maybe she just fancied me a little bit maybe she was into chubbies or something I don't know <laughs> there must have been some kind of reason I guess and yeah, it was a. Uh, I never want to repeat it anyway. Well, no, and you can't you can't eat as much now, can you? I can eat. When I first came out of the operation, I could eat maybe like uh, scrambled eggs made out of free eggs, but that would fill me up for about seven or eight hours. Then I'd have like half a quarter of a sandwich, and I wouldn't be able to drink fizzy drinks because my stomach would be in pain, and it was very painful, and I had to. One of my uh, cuts got infected, which didn't help. And that was horrible because it left like a two inch diameter, two centimeter diameter hole that was like an inch deep in my stomach that was just filling up with pus that I had to clean out every day. Oh, God. So there were definitely loads to it. But now, because the stomach does stretch naturally, I can eat what a normal person can eat if I want to. But because they cut out the, the gland that creates hunger, right, gland. I don't feel hunger so they took out your hunger gland yeah so you no gland. longer feel hungry no don't feel hungry what's that like it's it's weird because when you when you're fat and you're an emotional eater like i am you kind of i'm eating this food because i'm hungry and that's what if your body's telling you you're hungry then you eat because you're hungry and that's what you're meant to do it's the same with any other drive you go to the toilet you go to the toilet you need to eat you need to eat but now because i don't feel hunger when i feel like i want food if i stop myself and think about why I feel hungry, I realise that there's no physical craving there at all, it's a psychological craving, it's because I'm bored or because I'm stressed and I realise that's what it must have been before the operation but I 
kind of kidded myself that it was a physical craving as opposed to a psychological one. But now I can see that it's a psychological one. And sometimes I go to make food and stop and think and realise I'm not hungry. I just want do something you, to do. Do you miss being hungry? No. You don't? No. Because, I mean, isn't that part of the enjoyment of food is getting well, hungry food is, and then being satisfied? food is no fun now, anyway. Like, it's like if anyone says to me, oh, we're, we're going to have this tonight, it, or mum says that we're cooking this, or me and C go out for a meal and stuff, I pick the cheapest thing that I know will fill me up within two seconds, and it's not about taste. I've got no sense of smell either, so my sense of taste is pretty poor anyway. Ooh. As a chef, that's not a very good thing to have. Don't, don't, you miss, don't you miss having that relationship with food, though? I mean, I know it was an unhealthy one that you had, but, I mean, a drug addict misses the drugs that they can't No, do. because as soon as I had the operation and the hunger gland was taken out of me, I became more creative in that six-month period than I had been five or six years before that. Okay. I was I was writing music again. I've got all the the audio interfaces. I think I spoke to you about it, or Pikey certainly I spoke about. I wrote the episode for content for Pikey, which I did literally on a on a on a on a diet of soup and and coffee because I was filling the gap with something else. And it, and it, and it still is now. I I'm much more sort of productive than I ever was before that. And do you feel like you are creatively fulfilled? I mean, you. <clears throat> I'm very, very sort of disillusioned with the, the whole creative process now. Anyway, I don't enjoy it as much as I used to. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I I don't know whether it's an age thing. The thing is, when we were doing the studio with Pikey, there was a, a guy came into the spa where we were. Um, Owen and a friend of ours, Alex, set up a music studio that they ran with a grant from, from the, the Welsh, Welsh Assembly. Assembly guy, this regular guy that came in to, to buy uh, cigarettes came in and, and he was asking me some questions and I explained to him that I was doing the recording studio and he explained that he also did one when he was younger. And then we started talking about all the things he did when he was younger. He was an artist and he did lots of music and he thought, well that's all in the past now. And I remember thinking to myself, what does he mean by that? And he was like, and he kind of embellished himself, he kind of said, yeah, you know, I, I tried all that and it didn't really work for me. I stepped away. So I think part of it is just getting older I don't and know, seeing though. the more enjoyment in the practical things. My so dad's forth. 87 and he still writes. I think there are people who who, who still enjoy it, but yeah. I think I, I grew out of it a little bit. I, I still do enjoy it, but I realise now that I do it f f solely for my own personal enjoyment, not a sense of endeavour or, or pursuit of any sort of success in any way. Because you're a very good actor. And you, you write music and you make music and you, I think you're good at music too. But you don't miss it. Not okay. as much as I used to. Okay. Not as much as when I first left Aberystwyth and I was in like four bands in Aberystwyth. When I first came out, I really enjoyed it. And I, when I was in Legal and General, I went into a band with my mate and we did a couple of songs. I really enjoyed it then. And I missed it when, when he left to go to London because I was finally in a band that was doing stuff that I really, really liked. Not now. I think all my creative in interest goes into having a better standard of life and working towards other goals. Uh, I mean, I'm 30 years old. I don't have my own house and, and stuff like that. And I feel a bit sort of like... You're currently living with your mum again, your mum and dad. That, is a, that was a financial decision because I was going to do my PGCE. 
and we were living a ridiculous we were paying we, we both work at a minimum wage job the amount of money we're bringing in compared to the rent i think we were spending three quarters of the money that was coming in was going on rent which is not you're just not able to do it and i wanted to do my pgce and when i got rejected i was like i remember turning to see saying like this is silly because we could be in this, this job for years and years just struggling hand to mouth do you know what i mean and i said she doesn't want that and i don't want that i said i want to be able to to live to not to work and work to live as opposed to live to work well and you want you want to have kids as well don't you yeah at some point but she's still quite young she's only 24 so she's not she's You've got talking, time then yeah she's she's certainly got time and i think i would have had kids if my if the relationship i had the strange relationship that I had, we've got life. I had with that girl in Avarice with, as we, who we won't mention, yeah. had become something, then maybe, maybe I would have maybe been further on. But when I met she, it kind of started a whole new relationship. And of course, there, there's a certain time expectancy where you don't have you don't have kids in the first six months of meeting someone. Generally, unless there's an accident or you you you're both secure and financially, you know, you can do it. So it's just like started off again, and she was only 21 when I met her. So I knew it was going to be a while before we had kids, and I'm quite happy to wait for them. Like. But it's something that you want to do, isn't mm -hmm. it? Absolutely. I think it's the one thing I've. One of the reasons I'm doing the, the course in, in general is so that I can get enough money and start on a new career that will be able to financially secure enough to be able to have kids. And I know that C definitely wants to have kids, just not right now. Yeah, well, I think you're going to be a good dad. I will be a good dad. You'd be a good dad. A very good dad, I think. How long is that then? Well, we're around about the last question, I think. And the last question... Which you ask <clears> everyone, right? I ask everyone. Is, do you have anything to plug? No. No. <laughs> no, I do, ha I do have... A, I have set up a blog uh, for my time in Barcelona, which is for my CELTA course, which I'm doing because I realise there's a lack of, of blogs for people doing the CELTA course because most of the CELTA courses, particularly the, high, the higher range one that I'm doing, which is the Cambridge accredited one, there's not that many people doing it. There aren't that many schools that do that course and every year there's only a, gra there's only a number of graduates. I think the number of graduates comes to about 200 a year when you think about the university graduates there. And there doesn't seem to be apart from a couple of forums which kind of talk about it in a general terms go into depth about the procedure and how it works and I think because I'm going to be on my own there because she's not joining me for about three weeks and after I started the call that I needed something else to do that wasn't going to be was going to allow me to put my thoughts about it down on paper or voice blogging as well which I'm going to do because I think I'm much better at voice blogging than write blogging but I get really bored writing yeah you should set up a SoundCloud and then you can stick your I might voice do. stuff on there uh, I've only written the one at the moment but that's because nothing has nothing has happened yet but as time gets onto it now I've just booked the flights and everything so I'll start talking about the apprehension of, of starting there and the difficulties going to have and then once I'm going to try and do it every day even if it's just a small blog after every day because the course is so intensive they're like 12 hour sessions and 5 hours of that is input session and well, there's by the time this comes out you may have even finished the blog. I mean, I'm not sure when it's going to come out. 
uh, it'll be there regardless. So he'll either be doing it or he'll have finished it and you can have a look over his four weeks. And I'll tell you whether it's worth doing. So check I out, think everything should be fine. Check out Owen's blog. Uh, you will find out if it's worth doing the CELTA course. Um, if you have liked hearing Owen, you can hear him in www.4daysintheroom.co.uk. There's some good episodes uh, and there's some not so good episodes. <laughs> and there's a, if you want to hear more about his time in hospital, there's a, a episode that's going to be about that coming up. It may have even come out already, so check that out if you, if you want to hear more about what it's like to have your s- stomach taken out and through your chest through your chest as well through your chest yeah they pull it off just through the um, I can't see the sternum where the breastbone finishes that's when it comes out Jesus wow on on that the biggest stomach I've ever met Jesus on that note um, it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you Ryan thank you do you want to say goodbye to the listeners yeah see you later Goodbye. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook. It's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted. If it's quite low, I can turn it up as long as it's consistently low. You have a very loud voice, don't you? I do. I do have a very loud voice. My main Is that thing, something you discovered? It's something I've... Well, it's something I was aware of, but I've discovered it more through, through the podcast projects.